Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Catch Up with Louise McSharry. This is the podcast where we try and catch you up on all the events of the week that you need to know if you want to be involved in general chit-chat over the course of the weekend or indeed the week. If you haven't been paying attention and no one would blame you, life is busy, no problem. I will hook you up with a little cheat sheet on the week's news and pop cultural events and um, also give you a little interesting interview as well. Hope you had a good week, but if not, sure, we're nearly on to a new one. Um, I have to say the weather definitely gave me a lift this week. I had a pretty good one. I got to do a couple of really cool um events in the International Literature Festival in Dublin. Um, I got to moderate a chat with Disha Bose and Sophie White, both of whom have written uh, fiction books that have come out this year. My Hot Friend is Sophie's book, which I've talked about before, and Dirty Laundry is Disha Bose's book. And um, they both kind of cover elements of motherhood and social media and the politics of WhatsApp groups and all that kind of thing. And um, we had just great chats. Then I spoke to Nivor Binsky, who's written a book called No Apologies, which is about um kind of unlearning diet culture and healing your relationship with food which I think is great it's great to have an Irish nutritionist kind of working in that area in the intuitive eating sphere and actually you'll hear from here her on next week's podcast and then her event was also with Pragya Dr excuse me Dr Pragya Agarwal um, who has written actually several books she is a super super intelligent woman but her latest book is called Hysterical and it basically explores the gendering of emotions so why there are certain expectations of men and women when it comes to their emotional responses to things why anger you know might be deemed like a powerful thing in a man's world but for a woman to be angry is like aggressive and unpleasant all that kind of stuff really really fascinating she's a data scientist so it's all really in research and um yeah couldn't couldn't recommend both of those books more um, and I'm actually doing another event with the International Literature Festival it's a the festival will be over after this weekend but they are having an what's called an off the page event where basically I'm going to be speaking with the author ORF Kwang as she is a New York Times best-selling author her book Yellow Face is so good it's super sharp really current it is essentially about someone who kind of robs her friend's manuscript unpublished manuscript um, and publishes it under a false name but you know the story itself kind of is not a story that the the author who stole it should really be telling or could really be telling and so she finds herself at the center of um a potential controversy it's very good and I'm so so looking forward to that conversation tickets are available now if you want to go and get them just check out um ilfdublin.com um I actually didn't even mean to go on that whole (laughs) 
rant there but there you go there you are that's my updates in terms of the lit fest other than that I did just loads of um, kids stuff over the weekend and this week I've been kind of just busy with work stuff and getting ready for the style awards the VIP style awards are on this Friday night and um, always a lot of pressure you know to deliver a look um I'm excited about what I'm wearing although I haven't actually tried it on yet but I know it'll be great because I'm working with a great designer and um god every time I say something like that I'm like who are you that you're working with a great designer like who do you think you are and the reality is I'm someone who wears their pajamas most of the time but I do enjoy getting dressed up and even more than the dressing up I enjoy looking at everybody else's dressing up results so it's super people watching and I will tell you all about it next week on the podcast um just a heads up if you are on the patreon I did a bonus episode this week it's next week's kind of cultural response episode but I released it early because it is um basically like a reaction to the Vanderpump Rules reunion the first episode of the reunion episodes so myself and Esther Omar Donahue who you're going to hear later on today recorded it this morning um just just hours after (laughs) the reunion went live it was so fun to chat about and so fun to record so you can go on over there and get that now if you want and obviously if you join the patreon you'll get all the previous patreon episodes as well so there's a good few up there now Um, and there is a link in the show notes now though let's get on with it we've got a great interview this week um I told you already on Instagram, so I won't say it now, but um, you're all very excited about it, so I'm very happy about that. But first, let's get the news with journalist Aoife Moore. Well, it is a glorious sunny Thursday, and I am inside all day. <laughs> it's record day, so I'm once again with Aoife Moore, and uh, delighted to have her here to take us through the stories of the week. Aoife, big week for you. Your book is announced. Your book is finished. Everything's going great. I finished the book this morning. Are you? Everything, everything is sent over, dedications, acknowledgements, everything. Can't wait to read my name in the acknowledgements. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine if I wasn't in there? Someone said once that you don't have, to, you don't pay for the book if you're named in, in the book, so. That's not true. Uh, I've paid for a lot of books that I wasn't <laughs> named in. Hello, Richard Chambers. I was just going to say, um, no. Yeah, I paid for 18 year old to read my own name because the thing is people don't realize that when you write a book in your contract it says you will get x number of copies of your book and yeah exactly i wrote the thing and i get 10 free copies it's hardly any like it's hardly any although i will say i actually got a lot and i still have loads of them in my house which i didn't pay for your book actually maybe i I owe you a free book because you took it from my house yeah yeah it's fine. I, I can't have that many of my books in my house. Like it's old now. I need to. Maybe I'll just. <laughs> Why don't you write, fire a, se- write a second one? <laughs> You've just written a book. No, I've never written a book again. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, okay, let's get into the week's news and let's start with budget chat because it has begun. Oh my god, it gets earlier and earlier every year. The budget is in October. Yeah, it is May. I was gonna say it feels weird that they're talking about it. Yeah. now. I mean, I know lots of people are in major financial hardship, so it makes yeah. sense. But like at the same time, it's a long way away. So in journalism, what we usually do is because it's quiet during the summer, journalists themselves will start the budget chat, right, <laughs> for something to write about. Um, this week, the Taoiseach started it. Leo Varadkar said this week that the state pension is going to increase again in this year's budget. This is to be welcomed. You know, everyone from pensioners themselves to charities would say that because of inflation, you know, pen- the pension would have to go up. Um, mm-hmm. And like we know that, you know, cost of heating, all that sort of stuff, like pensioners need to be warmer than the rest of us and everything else. So in last year's budget, um, the the pension the weekly pension increased by twelve euro to two hundred and sixty five. He didn't give 
a number of what it will increase, but it will be, I would imagine, another 10 or maybe something up to 275. Mm. Um, so it's raised by independent TD Joan Collins. Um, not the most well-known TD, but um, big campaigner around social justice, stuff like that. So she um, was calling for it in the doll this week and she said that, you know, 12 euro wasn't enough considering we were kind of already in inflation when it went up last year. So mm. she said it was a political choice your government made to make the people who are least able to deal with the cost of life and crisis poor. But the Taoiseach said that, you know, it will be increased this year. She has called it for, to be indexed at 34% of the average wage. Um, he didn't give, the Taoiseach didn't give any solid numbers, but there will be an increase, which I think is obviously to be welcomed because... Uh, yeah. I mean, that is not that much money when you think about how much everything costs yeah, in the shop now. 265 euro a week for heating, electricity, food, bills, your phone. Yeah. Everything. Like, I I never cease to be amazed by how expensive everything is all of a sudden. Mm. Like, even Sam, my six-year-old, keeps saying, everything's so expensive now because yeah. I keep trying to explain to him yeah. that, like, things are very expensive right now. I went to Tesco the other day and nearly died. Oh, I know. So dear. I know. I know. Like, it feels like nothing is less than five euro now. No, nothing. Everything's like, five euro. It's crazy. Um, so, yeah, that is good news. However, uh, bad news, and this isn't in the context, technically, of the budget shot. No, but, but it is about money. It is about money and funding, and there will be no funding provided this year for the development of more HSE eating disorder services. Yeah, so no additional funding for the development of eating disorder teams. I find this completely stark. So I actually went looking when I read the story, Andy, you know, the rate of eating disorders in... Ireland, so last year under Freedom of Information Act during COVID, the number of teenage girls aged 12 to 18 discharged from hospital with a principal diagnosis of anorexia or bulimia rose from 123 to 188. Now, this is only the people who are being treated and the number of boys in the same group was up from 15 to 28. Now, we know that... This is not the amount of people who have eating disorders. These are just the people being treated. There was a 61% increase in admissions to psychiatric units um, for children and adolescents in 2019. Mm. And eating disorders represent 18% of all admissions to psychiatric care for under 18s. And also, by the way, eating disorders kill people. They do kill people. Like this is not just like a casual thing. That, it's a you fatal know, disease. It's a fatal disease. Like, yeah. uh, and it's not insignificant. Um, according to statistics on Mental Health Ireland, 80 people die via eating disorders every year. That is so, I did not think it would be that high. Yeah. An estimated 200,000 people in Ireland, according to mentalhealthireland.ie, are affected by an eating disorder with 400 new cases each year, resulting in 80 deaths annually. So this these, this data came from a, a parliamentary question to the Sinn Féin mental health spokesperson, Mark Ward. He, the HSE confirmed to him that there's no additional funding to develop new eating disorder teams in this year's national service plan. And there has been, there had been no pre-existing dedicated eating disorder infrastructure or strategy from before 2018. It's such a huge problem. It's such a huge problem because even what's there isn't always fit for service. Like, Mm. you know, there's quite a narrow 
infrastructure around eating disorders in this country I got a letter a couple of years ago from a girl who was absolutely desperate Mm. I mean the fact that she was writing to me is an indicator of how desperate she Mm. was a friend of hers was extremely ill with an eating disorder but because her BMI wasn't at a certain level and that's obviously a low level is what they're looking for Mm. and she couldn't get treatment yeah this idea that like you have have to to be be severely underweight Mm -hmm. to be actually at major risk within your eating disorder is completely bizarre because actually most of the statistics now show us that people who suffer with eating disorders tend to be overweight like there's a huge because they're they have yo-yo dieted maybe their whole life yeah Uh, and and not to mention there's also binge eating disorder which you know lots of people don't even know exists where which is binging without purging um yeah and so like you know eating disorders are really complex and there is no one type of physical body of a person who has an eating disorder and yet there are still limits weight limits in terms of accessing treatment there's huge waiting lists like it is just not fit for purpose so the entire amount of 2020's development funding for eating disorder service was used to cover other areas of mental health provision in 2021 like that's disgusting the hse has (laughs) the hse The HSE has only spent 8 million since 2016 on eating disorder posts. People are dying, Kim. (laughs) It is wild. It is absolutely wild. I do not think in any way, shape or form that we take eating disorder seriously. Mm -hmm. I know this from being a woman. I know this from being a girl who went in all girls school. Eating disorders and disorders eating are so prevalent. Mm. And the people who get treatment are the people at the very end of their tether but in order to get there there should have been intervention before i mean if 80 people are dying every year it's not working no it's not working um okay now what is going on with this madeline mccann search i am hooked hook it to my veins so this is the first the first major search for madeline mccann in 10 years yeah has been extended this week and they are looking and a reservoir in the algarve where she went missing well 30 miles away from where she went missing so there has been no confirmation that they found anything or anything like this but it's linked to this fellow called christian bruckner who um, is a German man who was jailed in 2019 for raping a 72-year-old American tourist um, a mile from where Madeline went missing in Praia de Luz. Um, So he's been officially named by the Portuguese police as a suspect uh, in the relation to Madeline. And now this reservoir is being searched. It had been searched at the time when she went missing, but they're doing a full search now, and it's something to do with a tap-off that they, it's a tip from him. Mm. The, he obviously says only somebody. So they're back in the reservoir now searching for Madeline's body. I honestly well, want uh, nothing more than them parents to get that child back. Yeah, me like, too. Like get some her, sort of relief yeah, from some the sort of closure. Yeah. Um, what, I'm going to ask a question now. You might not know the answer and it's not a nice question. But okay. like this long after... Her disappearance. Like, mm-hmm. what are they looking for? Bones. Bones. Yeah, they're looking for a, a wee, like, skeleton, oh, I would God, imagine. It's heartbreaking. Um, it? Yeah, it's just, everyone's talking about it now because, obviously, it was such a big deal. They haven't found anything yet, but this is obviously a big deal because they haven't done one in 10 years, so they mm. obviously think there's, yeah, something. there's something. There's yeah. something. So yeah. it's actually German police, but they're being accommodated by the Portuguese police. But it's okay. something to do with 
this fellow Krishna Bruckner, anyway, who is a convicted rapist. Anyway, the search has been going on for three days now. Um, and as of now, Thursday, 1 p.m., there's no no findings that we know of. So uh, something could change in the next 24, 36 hours. But um, mm-hmm. as of right this minute, that's what's going on. Now, this story, um, it feels weird to say I, I, you love to see it, but like you, you kind of do love to yeah. see it. And um, this is the story of a judge refusing to evict a family um, yeah. in Dublin. Yeah, so a judge uh, refused to evict a family who had an eight-month-old baby um, from their home. So the local council, Down Leary and Rathdown County Council, claimed that the... <laughs> The baby, <laughs> its parents and two siblings did not meet the criteria for the two-bedroom house um, in Dublin. So it's kind of long and arduous to explain, but it is the 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 dad's, the father's mother's house. Yeah, he mommy, grew up and there. The, yeah, it's his yeah. family home and the mommy died. Yeah. And they said that he did not meet the criteria to be placed in the house because he had a shortfall of 14 months. Yeah, so there's basically a rule with council housing. Yeah, Yeah, you have to have lived there for a certain amount of your childhood Mm -hmm. and also it's like nine out of 10 years or something in the last whatever. So they said that you had to live for five years in the house prior to his mother's death or to have lived at least 10 or 15 years prior to her demise. Um, So he was short by 14 months. Um, And the judge basically said... No. Yeah. (laughs) So the judge ruled that they should be allowed to stay in the house and overturn the eviction order from the council. Um, The mammy burst into tears in the court and they can return to their home. They were told, they told the court that they would have nowhere else to live and they'd be putting an eight-month-old baby in the street. Mm. Um, they had lived there um, with the baby since the baby was born because the mommy was sick. Sick, yeah. yeah. And he had been so caring was, for yeah, his mother. So basically the situation is, it was a council house that belonged to the mother. He had lived there in his teen years or whatever and as an adult. His mother got sick. They moved in to mm-hmm. mind her while she was dying. And then after she died, the council were like, you can't live here because yeah, it's, you've, you're, you're a year and whatever short. Yeah, and it's just following protocols. But basically then the judge also said in his ruling, I have enormous sympathy with any housing authority trying to distribute the meager supplies of housing to satisfy overwhelming demand. It is akin to the distribution of the five loaves and two fishes. There aren't enough houses to go around and is not the fault of local authorities. I don't like to see anyone skipping a queue, but I don't accept that Mr. Money is a trespasser. Yeah, and and, and like basically it doesn't make sense. It wouldn't make sense. Because then they would also have to go back to the same council. Exactly. And look for a house. So it's just keeping them in the same house. To, to, to be fair, keeping them in the same house that the baby has loved in for its in eight months of life. And that your man was in for, you yeah. know, most of his life as yeah. well. Like it's... But it's getting to the point now where we will see more of this. We yes. will see people going to court to get eviction orders turned over because there is a crisis. There is an emergency. And a lot of judges are going to say what this judge said. I'm not evicting babies onto the street. Like this is not something that we can do. And, and the thing is, it's it, they, like there's there is nothing left to say about this crisis. Like, no, but like the the thing with this specific situation is that there, you know, you could argue, well, there's probably a baby on the waiting list, yeah, who's like next in line, and technically this guy mm. doesn't, you know, he was short, fit yeah. the criteria. But like, you know, you have to think about the actual logistics of everything, mm. and like if this family are evicted then they're they have to be found accommodation whoever the you know no one wins no, no one, one wins, wins in a housing crisis mm-hmm. but it's not reasonable to follow through on an eviction like that it mm-hmm. just isn't and that was a judge being sensible so yeah okay um now let's talk about oh god i love this 
so I love this much. woman so much. I love this so much. E. Jean Carroll. We is, talked about her a couple weeks ago. We did. Um, and the fallout now is She's just a queen. So E. Jean Carroll, the 79-year-old columnist who alleges that she was um actually can we, we don't have to say alleged anymore. A, a court found that she was sexually abused by Donald Trump. She was awarded $5 million in damages um, because uh, the jury found that he did sex... Donald Trump, former president, did sexually abuse her and defamed her with his comments about what she said. He said the whole thing was a scam and that she made it up. Mm. She was awarded $5 million. And then Trump um, went on a CNN town hall meeting and doubled down on his remarks and she sued him again. <laughs> It was wild because like when he did it, the, the discourse online, a lot of people were like, why would CNN give him the space to do this? Number one. Number two, surely she can just sue him sue again. Him again. And, and that's exactly did. what she's doing. So she he went back on um, the CNN town hall, um, which is a different story for a different day. But he went on... Um, the town hall and said <laughs> I never met this woman I never saw this woman um, he said it was a fake made up story invented by a whack job so she's suing him again this time she's going after him for 10 million dollars and and she'll probably win she'll probably win like it's just he's so stupid <laughs> he's such a stunning combination of stupidity and arrogance but the problem is Despite that, despite that, our next still, story is that he is still the front runner to be the Republican nominee for president. Ron DeSantis. Um, Ron DeSantis. How would I explain Ron DeSantis? He's like if a mannequin was haunted by the ghost of <laughs> someone ridiculous. Yes. Beautifully put. Yeah. He is the most unlikable, uninteresting. Anyway, sorry, Ron DeSantis is a governor of Florida. Of Florida. He, and he has put himself up as a nominee. He so, sees himself as like Trump light. He's basically Trump without the controversy, but with all of the racist views and transphobia. Um, so he has stepped up to the plate, put himself forward as the Republican nominee. Uh, he launched it on Twitter, uh, a live event, which only 100,000 people watched. Not great. Um... And it doesn't matter. Trump is still the front runner. Um, he will not come anywhere near Donald Trump. There's a number of um, nominees already, like, like Nikki Haley, people like that. Um, but it very much looks like, despite the sexual assault, despite the fact that he might go to prison, Donald Trump is likely to be the next nominee for the Republican candidacy. America. It's going to be a Biden-Trump ticket again. I know. I know. America is sick. Like on Twitter, on not Twitter, TikTok at the moment, there are lots of people in Florida who work in the tourism industry mm. who are sharing images of their businesses, which are like empty basically, because they say people are not coming to Florida because no. of everything that's happening there at the moment. Yeah. You know, so many new policies Disney, have been like, brought Disney in that are racist of, and transphobic and all the rest. Disney is one of like the main employers in Florida and he has basically picked a fight with Disney. It's insane. And they have like threatened to leave. <laughs> they should leave. They should leave. They should leave. Yeah. Like, you know, and it's such a shame. Florida is absolutely beautiful. Oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Like as a, as a place to be. But like, you know, DeSantis is doing untold damage to the people of Florida. And now he thinks he should be the president. The, oh, like, the, only, thing, the only thing he has is probably that he hasn't been accused of sexual assault and he's only 44. Mm. 
So that's good. Yeah. <laughs> the bar is on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we will be back with more of this. I mean, imagine next week we were like, oh, actually, DeSantis resigned. <laughs> Donald Trump says he's not. Like, wouldn't that be gas? But it's unlikely. So we'll probably be back with more of the same next week. Thank you so much, Aoife Moore. By the way, pre-order Aoife's book. You can do that now. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. I first came to know Aubrey Gordon under the moniker Your Fat Friend, which was the name that she wrote under for a long time on the internet. Um, I found her writing to be incredibly helpful. Um, at the the time, I really needed someone to be writing very honestly about the experience of being fat. And um, I know that there are thousands of people around the world who felt the same way. Now she uses her own name and she will uh, expand on where that decision came from in our chat. Uh, she is an author. She is a podcaster. She is an activist. Um, lots of you will know her through her brilliant podcast, Maintenance Phase, which basically debunks wellness bullshit and diet culture bullshit and she is doing the lord's work as far as i'm concerned she is also so lovely like i booked this interview in a long time ago um and because aubrey's new book was coming out at that time um you just need to lose weight and 19 other myths about fat people she was super super busy but she was enthusiastic about doing it so we organized our interview way in advance and then in at the last minute i ended up being in an airport and just there was a whole series of events which meant that at the time of our scheduled interview I was in an airport now I had found a quiet corner and I had brought my microphone and stuff with me and my recorder because just in the off chance that this could happen because I've had this happen before and where you have travel delays or whatever and then you're stuck and um so when we got on I said please excuse the fact that I'm in an airport I explained the situation and she was like let's just let's just rearrange and I was like really and she was like it's so sound about it she's like I can do it this time I can do it that time and but she was like just love just lovely you know like above and beyond lovely um and I'm so glad that we did rearrange because it means that you hear um a proper conversation with no airport related distractions I will say I think I kind of lost the run of myself a little bit during this conversation and it definitely went from being me interviewing someone to me just like talking to someone um because obviously I admire Aubrey so much and um it was just such so nice to talk to her and to you know I think as as fat people and particularly fat people maybe who put ourselves out there a little bit when it comes to um you know speaking about these issues publicly I don't often get the chance to speak to people who've had that experience as well so um I hope you don't mind if it feels a little bit indulgent because I think I did indulge myself a little bit and Aubrey also gave me way more time than I had asked her for so basically 10 out of 10 five stars we all love Aubrey and I hope you enjoy this chat Aubrey, it is just such a pleasure to have this opportunity. I, I, when I emailed you asking if we could if we could chat, I said that you've got lots and lots of fans in Ireland, and that is definitely true. Um, I think you know, for some of us, we came to know you when you were writing under your fat friend, and then more recently, I think lots of Irish people are really enjoying maintenance phase, and of course, now you have two books out as well. So there's lots of ways to sample your work. 
that makes me really happy to hear that lots of Irish people are enjoying maintenance phase. I don't know why, but I'm like, I just, that's lovely. That's yeah. like deeply, deeply lovely. I think I um, worry often, not worry, but um, think about often, you know, we're two Americans and we're two white Americans and mm. both of those things sort of constrict our perspective a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but I've been completely blown away by how much this has taken off uh, yeah. sort of around the world. It's really incredible. It's really incredible. It is. And, it, and I think it's such a, a positive indicator of where we are in terms of the way that we're approaching wellness, uh, in air quotes, and diet culture, and, um, you know, the way that we are finally, I think, questioning some of the things that we've just kind of accepted for so long. So for me, it's heartening as well. Every time I hear someone mention it, it also lets me know that I'm safe with them. I don't know about you. Yes, totally. <laughs> Little signals. Yeah. Absolutely. If someone mentions like uh, another fat writer's work to me and is like, I love Roxane Gay. Mm. Oh, I love Lindy West. Mm -hmm. oh, I love Sonia Renee Taylor. Like whoever. Yeah. It is always just like, all right, cool. We're good here. Yeah. <laughs> We're good. These. Uh, this is a safe person. This mm. is a safe-ish space. Yeah. You know, uh, and it's a rare enough thing mm. as a fat person in mm -hmm. the world to have someone indicate in any way that they're like on board uh, with you and with your body. It's, it's yeah. really lovely. It's really I was trying to explain that to someone recently. I was like, you know, and it's something that I've only kind of verbalized, I think, in the last couple of years that as a fat mm. person, every time you meet someone new, you kind of have to know that it, they could be deeply and profoundly fat phobic and have made all kinds of assumptions about you before you even open your mouth. Um, and that's just something that we kind of live with. Um yeah. It, and, it's real Russian roulette and mm. rather than having one bullet in the chamber you've got like is it gonna be Piers Morgan mm. <laughs> do you know yeah. what I mean like are you about to encounter Piers Morgan uh are you about to encounter Bill Maher right like that there are these um folks who we think of as like you know I think of as television gremlins mm. who are just sort of uh publicly really awful to fat people mm -hmm. and I think uh, folks don't necessarily clock unless you have been fat or are fat, mm. uh, that that's like most people's uh, ideas about fatness and fat people. Mm. And that finding people who are actually okay with being around fat people and not offering a ton of unsolicited diet advice and not, um, you know, picking apart your clothes and telling you what you should be wearing that would be more flattering and so on and so forth. Those folks are a a vanishingly small mm. minority of people. Mm. Uh, and I think uh, it can be hard to wrap your head around that if that's not a life experience that you've had, you know? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and I suppose that this kind of feeds into, you know, I wanted to ask you, I came to know your, you via your writing uh, under, you know, your fat friend at the time you were anonymous. Um, tell me about where you were when you started doing that kind of work. Uh, yeah, I was working uh, for a progressive nonprofit here mm -hmm. uh, in my home state of Oregon. I was working on voting rights mm -hmm. uh, and making sure that everyone who's eligible to vote can vote mm -hmm. uh, and uh, had been working in sort of left of center politics uh, here for a good long time and had just been uh, hit with this sort of creeping awareness that uh, 
even amongst colleagues who were deeply, deeply dedicated to social justice, even amongst colleagues who were um, could be described as bleeding hearts, even amongst folks who are sort of some of the most thoughtful and compassionate people that I know, um, this was a place where they felt perfectly fine um, uh, speaking ill about people, making judgments about people, all mm. of that kind of stuff. The number of conversations that we had about um, you know, like a soda tax, right? So taxing sugary beverages mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and the degree to which everyone just sort of fell into line about like, right, this will help fight the obesity epidemic. And I was like, guys, I'm right here and I'm running this meeting. What are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like, no, it won't. There's no evidence that that's what will happen. Mm. It's just evidence that you'll make poor people pay more. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. Um, so I started um, writing anonymously because I was, um, you know, knew how awful people can be face to face on fat stuff. And mm -hmm. boy, oh boy, put it on the internet. It's not getting better. Yes. Right? Like, not like mm -hmm. a more hospitable place. No, certainly um, not. So I did that work anonymously for mm. I think four or five years mm -hmm. um, before uh, just sort of giving that up and uh, going by my name. So here we are. And what what made you decide that it was time to to kind of put a face to your writing, as it were? Um, I think there are a couple of things. One is uh, it just became burdensome to carry around. I was yeah. getting ready to release a book. And like, yeah. how does one release a book without showing one's uh, face and using one's name? I don't know. Yeah, That seems really tricky. Um, but part of it also was that I had this idea that anonymity was going to keep me safe. And yeah. it just didn't. Right. Like, it just didn't. People found ways to find me. They found mm. ways to threaten me. They found ways to do sort of all of this sort of stuff. Yeah. So it just felt like, well, this isn't doing what I wanted it to. And it's kind of increasingly tricky to manage. So yeah. it might just be time. Yeah. And of course, your first book was What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat, um, which I loved. And then you have just recently published your second book, You Just Need to Lose Weight and 19 Other Myths About Fat People, um, which I also loved. Um, and it is, I mean, I just know how personally, how valuable it is and fortifying and empowering it is to have someone out there kind of fighting your corner and um, mm. because I've done a lot of talking around these issues here in Ireland yeah. um, but sometimes I'm tired and I don't have it in me or I'm bored of it and you know I, I it's sometimes it's easier to just like share a link to someone else's very intelligent and articulate thoughts on these things <laughs> totally I mean like that is what you're articulating is like the dream of this book which mm -hmm. is like you don't have to have the fight with your doctor yeah. about the BMI not being useful you can just be like here's seven pages <laughs> just yeah. read this little packet that I got you uh, with all the sources cited, or you don't have to have the. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. You're okay. Please, it's we're right very now. casual around here. I very Good nearly Lord. interviewed you in an airport the other day. So, <laughs> like, do not worry. <laughs> I really appreciated your like MacGyver levels of just like we're gonna make it work. <laughs> I was not it's gonna really miss impressive. a conversation with you. I've been looking forward to it for months. <laughs> anyway, but like, yeah, my hope is that folks don't have to have the argument with your uncle who's yeah. going off about people quote unquote glorifying obesity, which we don't do, but yeah. we should glorify fat people, but we don't. Mm. <laughs> um, 
that to have these little go-to guides that are just like, here's a bunch of data, here's yeah. a bunch of analysis, it's all wrong, stem to stern, everything you just said is totally wrong, right? Yeah. Um, to to give to folks um, felt like a really important way to um, hopefully get fat folks out of having to have this conversation on our own every yeah. time. I yeah. don't think any of them are the sum total of all of the research or all of the analysis or all of the ways to feel about each given myth. Um, but I do think uh, it is a really important foundational layer to mm -hmm. have folks have some kind of go-to on this yeah. uh, stuff that it just follows us around doggedly. Yeah. I'm curious about for you, if there are sort of anti-fat statements or myths or claims or whatever that you feel like you hear most frequently like what are the things I mean I think sort of for me there, yeah there are probably two um and mm. they're probably the biggest ones and one is that um diets work uh <laughs> you know just just that I feel like I spend my life saying to people all of the evidence tells us that they do not work that it is almost impossible to lose weight and keep it off like this it's it's not real but trying to get people to kind of believe you is very difficult um and then it's you know it's one of your myths it's like um what is it calorie calories out calories in or whatever you know the idea that like it's just just to eat less and move more and yeah. and you know people just completely ignoring the fact that every individual has their own biology which dictates you know and then never mind circumstances or environment or, or money or any of that stuff but like all yeah. of our bodies function differently and people's kind of unwillingness to accept that I find very frustrating and um, people can be so closed-minded on this issue and as you say people who otherwise are very open-minded and very liberal and very respectful and you know all about equality have seem to have kind of a a like a, I don't know, blank space or a block or something when it comes to fatness. I think that's uh, absolutely right. And I think part of that has to do with, uh, we have been fed our own biases about fat people back to us, sort mm -hmm. of under the guise of research, under the guise of uh, sort of uh, public health, under the guise of all of these different things. And when you start to, um, this is where I get into like, slightly tinfoil hat <laughs> territory that I'm Go walking there. myself back from. I'm ready. But like when you actually read the research papers oh. themselves that mm -hmm. folks are citing, I think one of the most um, famous ones in the US is this idea that 400,000 Americans die every year just from being fat. Now, mm -hmm. first of all, uh, as an American, if 400,000 people were dropping dead every year just because they got so fat, you would know somebody? Mm -hmm. You would know somebody who died of fat? I don't know anyone who died of fat, right? Like, uh, and uh, written into the actual methodology section of that paper, um, they write very plainly that they are assuming that every fat person who died in excess of every thin person who died, so the gap between um, deaths of fat folks and deaths of thin folks, um, they're attributing all of that to being fat. Yeah. No uh, car crashes, no lightning strikes, no getting hit by a bus, no nothing, right? Like the only way that they assumed that fat people would die would be of their own fatness. Mm. Um, and if that's your foundational assumption for a mortality estimate that's going to be blasted for 30 years yeah. over the airwaves, people are really going to 
believe that statement without really understanding where it sort of came from mm. and without really understanding that other estimates are like under 20,000 a yeah. year, which is of course not great, but like significantly less alarmist. Yeah. And especially than... in a country as big as America, like, I mean, it's proportionately very small. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's just so frustrating. I think when you, you know, particularly even with medical professionals, which I know is something that you've written about extensively, um, you know, that, that we still have to go in and advocate for ourselves at such a level to just get basic care because doctors often are just blinded by the fat and it's all they can see and they can't even kind of talk to you about anything else. And I know that there are, and I always add this caveat because I often hear from doctors and nurses and medical professionals asking me like, what can I do better? And, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's a matter of training as much as it's a matter of anything else. Like I know one doctor said to me, they get like one day of nutrition or something in their medical training here and then and yet then they're like dishing out dietary advice to people and being like maybe if you just follow this diet you won't have this this medical problem which actually has nothing to do with you being fat but it's all I can see right now is the fatness um I'll say this, that particular phenomenon, that one day of nutrition education, I think is very similar to what happens in the US. Mm. Uh, and it absolutely drives dietitians up the wall. Mm. <laughs> like That has been like a fun little source of uh, irritation to learn about is that people who really do study nutrition, who really do spend all of their time on nutrition are like, what are these jokers talking about? <laughs> they don't have any idea, yeah. what, why? And I think, listen, with this healthcare stuff, it's a uh, it's a sticky conversation, um, in part because um, healthcare providers uh, receive an immense amount of technical training, yeah. hold an immense amount of knowledge, and with that comes an immense amount of power, mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, in some cases, over someone's you know living or dying, being yeah. sick or being well, all of that kind of stuff. In all of that technical training, um, certainly in the U.S., I'm I'm not aware of. Uh, any medical training system uh, that does this, but um, they are not actually asked to confront their own biases about mm. any community of people, about mm. any patients they might see, right? Mm. Um, and there is some evidence, again, speaking to the US here, um, that going through medical school appears to, first of all, it appears to attract people um, who have uh, a higher than average level of anti-fat bias, and that the experience of going through medical school appears to intensify that anti-fat bias, right? Wow. So like, however you feel about fat people, uh, it, it feels like a pretty straightforward thing to say, hey, if we know this is a problem, we should be able to tackle, you know, and, and we know that, frankly, most patients that most doctors are seeing at this point are in the quote unquote overweight or quote unquote mm. obese BMI categories. What does it mean if many healthcare providers, even most healthcare providers are biased against most of their patients? Mm. Like that's a pretty significant issue yeah. um, that we ought to be able to, to tackle, not in a blame and shame way, but in a, hey, people really need healthcare. Kind yeah, of like let, let's look this problem directly in the eye and actually try and change it. Yes. I think, um, I think it's tricky, like, because obviously I've thought a lot over the years about why fat phobia is such a difficult one for people to overcome. Um, and, you know, well, actually, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read you some of your own words. 
because I like, here's what I like. I like that earlier you were like, I'm going to record an intro later because that's going to be awkward. And now <laughs> you're I like, I'm going to read your intro. I love sorry. it. Let's do it. Great. But Sounds I was good. I was about to say something and I'm like, no, you've said it much better. Um, so you've written and ultimately thin people are terrified of being treated the way they have so often seen fat people treated or even the way they've treated fat people themselves in that way thinness isn't just a matter of health or beauty or happiness it is a cultural structure of power and dominance and being called fat cuts so deeply because it hints at a dystopian future in which a thin person might lose their cultural upper hand that is like nail on the head as far well, as I'm, I'm glad concerned. that one landed for you. It's a it's a dark one, <laughs> but I'm glad it landed for you. But we can't ever progress, as far as I'm concerned, if we don't acknowledge that the reason that so many otherwise like decent-minded people struggle with this is because if they have to believe that being fat is okay, and that you can be healthy and fat, and that you can be beautiful and fat a lot of the time it challenges the very foundation of who they are and how they value themselves. And if you're someone who dedicates, you know, I don't know, like a huge portion of your life to eating a certain way and exercising a certain way and like, you know, making, maintaining a certain body is like a major, major priority in your life that you spend a lot of time on. If all of a sudden you're told, well, that's not really important, that's going to be very troubling to you. So you're going to want to maintain the status quo and, and remain firm in the belief that you hold some sort of superiority. Absolutely. And I think uh, a couple of things related to that. One, if you've been spending all of your money and time yeah. uh, heading in that direction, and uh, it will hit harder, right? Um, that uh, I think some of the strongest reactions uh, to my work that I get are from uh, uh, women of my mother's generation yeah. who have spent their entire lives on Jenny Craig, RIP, yeah. don't RIP. Uh, <laughs> on Weight Watchers, on Slimming World, on whatever, yeah. right? Um, they have uh, often really strong, really negative, and uh, sort of shockingly rageful uh, responses to these sorts of conversations. Yeah, um, It feels really tricky. And I think the other thing that feels really tricky is like, listen, um, in as much as anything else, it really feels like particularly from mothers to daughters um, that anti-fatness and diet culture and sort of adherence to this sort of lifelong pursuit of thinness mm. has become a real cornerstone of white Western womanhood, right? Yeah. That like, it's sort of an heirloom. It's sort of a rite of passage. It's sort of a whatever. Mm. Uh, and we are now, I think some folks are starting to look at wait a minute, was that good for me? I don't think that was good for me. Wait a minute, is that why I'm so weird around food? Yeah. Wait a minute, <laughs> is that actually part of the reason why I'm fat? That might actually be part of the reason why I'm fat. Yeah. Right? Like All of these sorts of things, we have treated dieting and weight loss as a risk-free behavior and mm -hmm. as a risk-managing behavior mm -hmm. without ever really engaging with the astronomical levels of eating disorders, without ever really engaging with weight cycling, returning folks to higher yep. set points over time mm -hmm. and um, leading ultimately to weight gain yeah. uh, over time. There's just all of this stuff that we have sort of shut out because it's more culturally and personally important to us that yeah. thinness is lifted up and that people pursue thinness at all costs yeah. um, rather than actually paying attention to their 
actual health or happiness yeah. or what's working or yeah. what's not or any of those other things. And that's, I suppose, one of the things that's the most frustrating when the conversation is so often kind of focused on health in quotes, because mm. if you really cared about people's health and you would acknowledge all of this research that actually dieting can be, you know, really bad for you, that, you know, you know, eating disorders often occur as a result of things that ostensibly start off as health kind of efforts or whatever. I mean, I, people are, I love to pull this one out, actually. I'm so fun at parties, but I love to pull this one out where... <laughs> you and you know, me both, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> to, you know, to be like, well, I'm way fatter than I would have been if I'd never gone to Weight Watchers. Like, I have lost and gained, you know, 10, 12 stone, which is what, I don't know, like 150 pounds or something over the years. Um, and, and, and as the evidence suggests, every time I lost it, I regained it on some more. And then obviously all the sciences, your body, you know, reaches a higher setting point as it were. Like, who would I be? I ask myself this all the time. Who would I be if I had never started dieting? You know, and it's, it's sad. Like it makes me sad. I feel, and, and angry. Yeah, totally. And I think some of that, there are times when folks read that, who would I be if I weren't, if I hadn't started dieting mm. as like a dream of thinness, mm. I would challenge folks on that. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's necessarily like, uh, at least when I think that thought, you tell, you tell me, but when I think that thought, I'm thinking less about like, who would I be if I had been a thin person? Mm. I don't particularly care and I don't particularly want to be that person. I'm like mm. pretty chill with who I am now. Mm -hmm. I like it. Mm. Um, <laughs> and, uh, what I think that is, at least for me, is what would have happened in all of the years yeah. that I was doggedly pursuing this thing? Yeah. What would I have done with all of the energy that yeah. I poured into that? Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of the answers has become clear to me, which is I would have written some books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would have made some podcasts. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, I've, yeah. I've thought about that a lot because I remember there was like some controversy when... Um, the writer Zadie Smith um, spoke about her daughter and makeup, something about it was, I'm, this is obviously not going to be exactly accurate, but it was something along the lines of, you know, I don't want her to waste time on makeup when boys are not wasting their time you know, they're using their time in another better way. And at the time I was like kind of annoyed by that because I was like, hey, if I want to use my time doing my makeup, I like it. Like that's, you know, it's something I enjoy. You know, there's, totally. let's, let's not get down on makeup, but it is that kind of thing. Like, 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 I mean, months, if not years of my life wasted agonizing over weight, agonizing over my value with regard to my weight, opportunities, career opportunities missed because I ruled them out because I thought I was too fat, relationships, like it has, there is no part of my life that has not been impacted by negative body image and, and how that spreads into every area of your life. And it's just such a crime that people are still living that way. It breaks my actual heart. Yeah. And I think when I think about this for myself and I wonder about you as well, like mm -hmm. the onset of that set of feelings was in like grade school, yeah. right? It was like prior to age 10, I, was I would six. say those sorts of, yeah, yeah, those sorts of feelings start to set in and you start thinking, well, I probably shouldn't try out for the school play because yeah. they wouldn't cast me at this size, or mm -hmm. I shouldn't be on the swim team because people are giving me feedback on my child's body, mm. not being a swimmer's body or mm. what have you. Right. I think that part, I mean, like, listen, we could do 
hours on mm. uh, ways in which fat people are excluded from fitness spaces mm, in yes. all of the concern for your health talk. Mm -hmm. um, but like, you know, all of that stuff shows up at such an incredibly young age. I mean, listen, uh, as far as I know, uh, as of a couple of years ago, NHS Scotland was considering um, paying for fat camps for yeah. kids. Here in the US, the American Academy of Pediatrics is uh, advocating for dietary and behavioral interventions at age two, yeah. um, which I said to my mom, who is an early childhood brain development lady, that was her career. And she was like, do you know what a behavioral dietary intervention is for a two-year-old? It's don't throw your food on the floor. Yeah. Like that's how far you can get with a two-year-old. Yeah. Like if you think you're going to have a conversation about like macronutrients and yeah. protein content, <laughs> like what are we doing? Like, yeah. no, you're not mm. like explaining calories in calories out to a toddler. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, no, good no. luck. Yeah. No, no. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like all of that stuff sets in so hard and so fast um, that it becomes really hard to imagine yourself living a life that you enjoy yeah. at the size that you're at, because yeah. there are so many messages to the contrary, often that come from family and friends yeah. first and foremost, right? Yeah. That is actually one of the primary sources mm -hmm. and medical care mm -hmm. um, are some of the primary sources of anti-fatness yeah. for fat people. It's voices really, really that rough. you trust, voices you respect, voices that you care about, and therefore it hits the hardest. Yeah. yeah, and listen, whether you're fat or not, uh, I feel like almost everybody I know has some story of like, I remember when I was young and my mom said this thing about my body mm. and it has stayed with me for the rest of my life, mm -hmm. right? Like, uh, I think it's worth noting many, many, many folks have that experience and yeah. fat folks have those experiences at such significantly higher rates yeah. because it's seen as being not only socially acceptable, but like beneficial. Yeah. Uh, to criticize fat people publicly. Yeah, yeah, well, absolutely. Like, I remember when I, I wrote my book, um, which is yeah, yeah, yeah. nowhere near in the category of yours, but um, there was a, a national newspaper columnist. Oh, sorry. No, that's, well, here's my phone. Now we both get to do it. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> um, but yeah, a, a national newspaper columnist, like, wrote a whole article about how, you know, he had been fat once and people should have told him sooner. And it's, you know, if anyone had, if people had just confronted him on it, he would have lost weight sooner. And it's like, oh, God, just shut up. Like, you're missing the point so significantly. Like, all of the research, just because you, one person, for some reason responded to that negative feedback it doesn't mean that another person will. And also there's a difference between being a middle-aged man who's gained some weight in the last few years and someone whose body has been big for their entire lives. It's a completely different thing. It's so frustrating. It is so frustrating. And I also think, listen, part of those sorts of uh, like op-eds that people will write, essays, what have you, about being sort of a former fat person and here's what fat people really need. They yeah. need to be told what's going on, all of that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, over time, I have stopped thinking of those as personal testimonials and mm. I've started to think of those as um, a, a rejection of their former fat self so that they can access the privilege and affirmation that comes with being thin, yeah. right? That that may or may not bear a real resemblance to their own experience. Yeah. I, who am I to say? Yeah. Um, but uh, that that is the mechanism by which formerly fat people uh, 
join in on thinness and reap the benefits of thinness is by rejecting other fat people yeah. and encouraging poor treatment of fat people. Yeah. Right? Like that's, that's part of how you get uh, what you wanted all along, which is sort of the affirmation and uh, yeah. sort of welcoming arms mm. of thinness mm. and of thin privilege. Well, Aubrey, I have already taken off significantly more of your time than you had agreed to. So um, <laughs> this is honestly, I could do this for like two more hours. This is well, so could I. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I suppose one thing I wanted to ask you before I let you go is with a book like mine and a book like yours, uh, either of your books, but particularly this most recent book, You Just Need to Lose Weight and 19 Other Myths About Fat People, like really the intended audience with that book is people who need to learn the things that are in the book. But I suppose Correct. the worry always is who's going to actually pick it up and read it. It's going to be the people who already know the stuff. So mm. I suppose, should we be buying this book and like giving it to people? <laughs> I kind of feel like I, I should have... buy like five copies and just like stick them in my neighbor's letterboxes. <laughs> I uh, have gotten some emails from folks about very aggressive gifting strategies. <laughs> I think gifting here goes in quotes, yeah. right? Like gifting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, you know the people in your lives best and what yeah. they'll respond to well and what they won't. But I think particularly I've been really, really stricken by uh, how many MDs are picking up Great. the book, how many nurse practitioners are picking up the book, mm. how many moms of fat kids oh, are picking up the book. That's so encouraging. Uh, it's really, really encouraging. Mm. I think that um, because we have had this conversation and this sort of critique of uh, diets and dieting sort of crack open mm. over the course of the last 10 or 15 years, it mm -hmm. feels like, um, folks are much more amenable to going, oh, we might be wrong about like a lot of this stuff. Yeah. And what I found in the course of researching this book was we are really wrong yeah. about most of the ways that we talk about fat people. Yeah. So if folks are like me and like to have your worldview shaken a little bit every once in a while, it's a, it's a good one for that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, absolutely. I think that the dream is for, uh, folks who don't have this life experience yeah. to, to pick up this book and to, um, get a new and different perspective that unfortunately isn't really coming from anywhere but fat people yeah. <laughs> at this point. Right? Yeah. Well, if you want to hear more, of Aubrey's work, you should definitely listen to maintenance maintenance phase. Excuse me, which kind of uh, like d is it debunks? Is that the phrase you guys use? Or no, d debunks. Yeah, yeah, yeah debunks yeah. junk <laughs> science. There, I knew there was a junk in there. Um, we should call it debunking. <laughs> Really You're a lot better. You can have that. You can have that. Um, <laughs> Thank you so much. But they, um, Aubrey and her podcasting partner, Michael, do such an amazing job of just cutting through all of the bullshit around diet culture and wellness. And it's also like a really entertaining listen. There's lots of laughs. Um, highly recommend Maintenance Phase. And of course, both of Aubrey's books are available now. What we don't talk about when we talk about fat. And you just need to lose weight. And 19 other myths about fat people. Can't recommend them enough. Aubrey Gordon, what a joy it has been to speak to you. Thank you so much for giving me twice as long as I asked you for. <laughs> oh my God. Absolutely. Anytime. This is, I told you off mic and I will tell you on mic. Uh, it is such a joy to actually get to talk to you after years of Twitter following. I'm oh, like thank over you. the moon about it. Thank you so um, much. So truly anytime. Well, next time you're in Ireland, we'll have to have a face-to-face -face meeting. Absolutely. I would love nothing. Fab. Thank you, Aubrey. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Well, my friends, once more, I was with Esther and Moore Donahue this morning, uh, and we did record that Patreon episode about Vanderpump Rules, but there were other entertainment stories to discuss as well. Lots of other ones, actually. Ryan Tuberty's last Late Late Show, we obviously had to talk about Patrick Keelty. Where's he going to be living? We had to talk about Tina Turner and lots more besides. Enjoy. Esther O'Moore Dunahoo, we have just spent 40 minutes talking about the Vanderpump Rules finale and that is going up on, well that's already up actually now as you listen on Patreon if you want to go and listen to that. But now we need to get serious because now it's time for the news. I said finally Louise I can put my brain back in and get deal with these hard-hitting stories. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's talk about the showbiz stories of the week and unfortunately first of all we have to talk with some really sad news and I think people were hit quite hard by this. Um, it's the death of Tina Turner. Uh, it was announced last night as we record on Thursday morning and she died at the age of 83. Um, I didn't know she was a Swiss national. She was a naturalized Swiss national. I knew that, well, I actually didn't know about her, she'd taken on the the nationality, but I knew she lived in Switzerland, and maybe I knew that from back when, I think, Oprah took her on tour, Oprah went on tour a few years ago. I'd known that, I'd seen a documentary, look, anyway, whatever, I knew knew that information. Well done. And who else do we know that lives in Switzerland is really famous? Shania Twain, and apparently Roger Federer is a neighbour, so. It's meant to be, I, I would, like, weirdly 
or I mean, maybe it's not that weird, but Switzerland is really high on my list of places I want to go. Me too. It I looks wanna, so beautiful. It looks so because, uh, yeah, a friend of mine went on for like a summer trip to Switzerland. I was like, the rolling valleys, yeah, the flowers, the mountains, beautiful. Yeah, Let's I mean, a trip to Switzerland. A friend of mine went on holiday there for years ago and it was like the rolling valleys, the the flowers. It looks very, it's alpine. Yeah. And it's, there's Toblerone there. So yeah. Gorgeous. It looks gorgeous. Anyway, she died peacefully, which is a good thing after a long illness, which I don't know if we knew she, she'd no. been sick um, in Switzerland near Zurich. Um, and yeah it's obviously very sad what a contribution she made to the world and what you know she went through an awful awful lot and she continued to perform until relatively recently um you know she was an icon truly yeah she was and you know obviously she had heard that you know a very an abusive first marriage to Ike Turner mm. um and but she just kept going. She, she survived because she had to and she had a career resurgence in her 40s maybe her late 40s so to, teetering around in little short skirts and having a great time so um, yeah she's she right incredible. with those legs you are? <laughs> she's dead right with those legs yeah although right, I would say right. that anyone no matter what kind of legs you have if you want to wear a short skirt you should um, yeah, yeah I actually didn't see and I only realised when this happened that I, I never watched the documentary about her that came out in 2021 um, which is apparently amazing um, it's just called Tina and it's two hours long and I'm sure loads of people will be watching it now. That's definitely on my list for the weekend. Um, so it's on, I think it's, I don't know, you can rent it on Apple TV. I'm sure there's loads of places you can find it. But um, I, I'd say actually they'll probably put it on TV at some stage over the weekend because everybody will be wanting to watch it. So keep an eye out for that in your listings. Rest in peace, Tina Turner. Okay, next. Uh, so now for something completely different. <laughs> yes. Una Healy of the Saturdays has been in the news lately and we have discussed on the podcast because apparently she was in a thruple with this British boxer. Is that right? He's a boxer, David Hay? Yeah. Yeah. And his girlfriend, apparently, Sean Osborne. And everybody was like, is it real? Isn't it real? And she's finally talked about it. Yeah. Now, I'd never heard of this David Hay, but many people I've never heard of still exist and live full lives. <laughs> so... I acknowledge and accept that, Louise. Uh, my name is Esther Mordona who? So we got, <laughs> let's get that out of the way. Uh, you know, but um, so yeah, so there was these rumors and I, and I was like, oh, good for Una Heaney. Don't yeah, care, whatever, totally. fine. So, but she went on for the first time, Vogue Williams and Joanne McNally had a guest on their pod uh, for the bonus app, and Una Healy set the record straight and so went through the whole chapter and verse of it. She's been single, you know, her husband, I think, uh, cheated on her, mm-hmm. has a whole other family in America. She's raising their kids by herself with her family. She acknowledged her parents are great. They help her raise her two children. Um, so she met this guy on Raya, this, the kind of celebrity media dating app or whatever. Um, he made it clear from the start he was seeing other people, but Una was just dating him as far as she was mm. concerned. Um, and he kind of had the, the other person who was meant to be in this supposed throuple, which they weren't, was Cian or Cyan. Shan. Os- Shan. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. Shan. It's like, for, I said this before, when for years when I'd be reading a book and they'd have the word Segu and I'd be like, and it was Segu to something else. It's like, it took me a long time to go, that's Segway. Yeah. Uh, Penelope. Penelope. Yeah. Penelope. Yes. Okay, thank you. All right. We're all idiots. <laughs> all right. So, say it again. Penelope. <laughs> Shan. <laughs> Shan. <laughs> And we're back in the room. <laughs> Shan, we'll just call her Ms. Osborne, uh, was a major part of his life in business and da da da. But you know, it was like, cool, cool. You know, when someone, yeah, telling you she was like, oh, fine, that's great. Um, she said she didn't really know her at all. Anyway, so she was, because she splits custody with her partner, with her ex husband, she had a Christmas by herself. She said to uh, David Hay, um, 
I want to get out of the country for Christmas. Don't want to be here. And he was like, cool. So, but my friend is coming along with us, Ms. Osborne. And uh, she said when they were on the plane, that he was sitting in between the two of them on the plane and he had one hand on her thigh and another hand on her, and, and your one thigh. And, and she was like, okay, not really feeling this. They mm. had no interaction. They were like not... They just, she's, I think she identifies as straight. She was with your yeah. man and that so was it. So she actually said she didn't have a relationship with Shan. But, But yeah. David was having a relationship with and both of them. And he was kind of pushing this and putting the photos up. And I think when I was listening to it, I was like, she, I don't think, she, then, so they, then she's like, no, this is what I'm not in. I'm not into this. So she called time and it, whatever. But then a while later at Valentine's Day, he put up a post, kind of a separate post for her and a separate post for the other, his, his girlfriend. Mm. And she's like, what was this? But I think Una was like overwhelmed. She kind of put up, she she reposted it, then she took it down, then she put up a separate post and then it kind of gave people kind of fuel to go, oh, are they still dating? She's like, she didn't know what to do. Yeah. But your man, David, seems to have been pushing this narrative like, yeah. I'm a play, or whatever. He That's his lifestyle choice. But he was kind of keen to push this. Yeah. Which is kind of, I was a bit lame. Well, she said she had to Google thruple because she didn't know what it meant. <laughs> yeah. And she said, she said, I'm a monogamous person. Hopefully one day I'll settle down again with a nice monogamous man. So she said, so she said, so I said to him, oh, good luck with that. So yeah, <laughs> fine, live your life, but Sad not right. for me. Good for you. Not for me. Well, and this is the thing. If she had been in a throuple, I would support that. Like yeah. do whatever you want, yeah. do whatever you want. But it's, I think it's interesting that the story was always, and not just in the Irish press, in the UK press as well, Una Healy's in a throuple, not David Hayes is in a yeah. throuple, you know, yeah. because women aren't allowed to be as sexually free as men are like you know within the realm of societal narratives yeah um, and, and I think on a, on, a, on, a level, on her level she was getting then lots of trolling from it mm. but maybe weird I just was like well good for you I don't, I don't really care but she wants to put the record straight because she's like that's not what, what, how you yeah. know what the reality of it was yeah. um, if you so. want to hear her talking about it it is a bonus episode of My Therapist Ghosted Me uh, Vogue Williams and John McNally's podcast I'm sure you all <laughs> Like, I mean, me saying that is kind of lol. Just Google like, it. You'll see. As, as if you don't already <laughs> listen to that podcast. If I could have a fraction of their oh listeners. Oh my God. What are they, have they done three, three arenas, five, three it's arenas? Insane. Like, it's, it's crazy. I, and, then, and I have to say, I'm very happy for them. Oh, like, I'm so, really it's amazing. It's amazing. But I wouldn't mind just, just, you know, just, just, just a little. If they wanted to do a bonus episode with, say, I Louise mean, McSharry, I would be open to it as well. Oh, freaking bow. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Um, no, I love those girls. I really do. Um, okay. Now, let's. Let's move on. This is another very dramatic story that happened this week. Philip Schofield is no longer on this morning. Yes. Look, I've read everything. I've seen the things. So we don't know what's going on. What is going on? It just has a bang of, obviously, you're not getting told the whole truth. It's yeah. weird. Yeah. So he has been presenting the... I think he's been on the show with her for 13 years, but he's been on it for 21 years. So he's there a long time. Yeah. He's kind of an institution. But you know, when he, so Holly Willoughby was his, his latest um, co-host. When he, before Holly, there was Fern, Fern Britain. Mm. And I remember at the time I took a gin and I was like, mm, you have done her dirty. You've sh Maybe Fern wanted to leave, but there was something like, I think he's just the master kind of, that's the, this is actually based in no fact, but I just kind of thought you were disloyal to her. Yeah. You've extra, the way he talks to Eamon, Eamon Holmes' wife, Ruth, he was so sharp and so curt with her in the little kind of gentle throws between loose women and thinking, I was like, mm, what's going on here? But he aligned himself to Holly and he really tried, the, they really did great branding. Holly did not have the experience or the gravitas to present that show with an iconic show at the mm. time. You know, before her was like Richard and Judy. <laughs> oh my God. But, you know, 
I mean, sorry, you got like a misty, faraway look in your eyes when you said Richard and Judy there. Are you okay? Yeah. They used to stand on a giant map of Ireland and England and hop between them doing the weather. So (laughs) we were dealing with the proper broadcaster. Actually, that wasn't them. That was the weather. That was the weatherman. But, you know, but I'm saying these are, so she got a great gig, Holly coming in here and Philip was like, and now Holly's my new best friend. And so they were together and they had this brand together and they built this relationship. Anyway, so things have been have sour between them we were getting these little stories fed and I was like okay well this is obviously just yeah I didn't believe I was like okay well I'm sure it's not true but then people were like body language experts were coming on going look yeah. at him the way he scratched his nose there that means he doesn't like her anyway now he's out of the picture apparently Holly is victorious because her it was her management or her move, whatever it was her decision to make but who knows I don't know yeah. what is really going on there's here there's loads of stuff going on I mean obviously there are a lot of allegations about Philip Schofield which are allegations currently so there's no point in us going in and out of them you've heard them you know mm-hmm. what they are so there is a suggestion that Holly maybe wanted to distance herself from those allegations or that her career would be damaged by that but there's also what I read which I hadn't known about was that there was a whole situation where Holly had some sort of beef with the management company who were managing both Phil and Holly. And then um, she decided to leave that company of which he is a shareholder who still represent him and set up her own company. Then there was a huge court case and there was a settlement made. So like there was business beef happening as well. So like, you just wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. Anyway, the point is, Philip Schofield no longer presenting this morning. And very strangely, like, there was no hurrah. There was no fanfare about him leaving. Like, barely acknowledged, barely acknowledged by Alison Hammond and Dermot O'Leary, who were stepping in the morning after it was announced. And I watched it and it was so funny. It was like Philip R.I.P. Like, he died. It was just three shots. Yeah. Flashed up of him. And that was it. No kind of, because you know those two, Holly and Phil were eternally, <laughs> couldn't keep themselves yeah. out. Everything was just so funny. They are just, it's like the cameras aren't even there. They don't even know. They're actually, <laughs> they just can't contain themselves. It's just that funny. So whatever. So anyway, no compilation of them giggling. No, it was just three photos of, they contractually fulfilled their obligation. Yeah. Smell you. You're yeah. Right here. Yeah. It's brutal. very strange. It's and strange. Br- yeah, brutal is what it is. Yeah. Um, now, it's <laughs> been, Talking of fanfare and last shows, um, the Ryan Tuberty's last Late Late Show is on this Friday and I feel like there will be a lot of fanfare. We don't know a huge amount yet about what it's going to be like, but we do know that Michael D. Higgins is going to be on. Yeah, and what my note above that was, get twink. <laughs> Please, oh. get twink. So yeah, yeah. So they can but dream. So he's filming in... He could be filming right now in the Aorus on Utron. Yeah. He's up there filming with Michael D. And um, I think they could have... They missed a trick. They could have filmed on the Lewis Red Line. That would have been more interesting or the Wax Museum. But he said, uh, Tubbs said, Tubbridy said, Tubbs, like I know him. Tubbridy said, I think some people in his office or even he was saying our 14 years have been pretty much paralleled. Obviously, his in a much more important, lofty way. No, Ryan. And me in my own small way on TV land. He's always been very generous at this time and I appreciate the invitation. So yeah, off he's going. So who else are they going to get though? Because when, I think when Gay Byrne left, didn't the Bono give him a motorbike? and yeah. I don't know who was on Pat Kenny's. Yeah, they did like a big show. So yeah, I feel like it's going to be, it's going to be big. Like, and I'm actually going to be at the VIP Style Awards. So excuse me. So I won't be able to watch. And I actually would have watched because I'd be very curious. I presume Patrick Keelty will be on. I mean, I think it would be wild if he isn't. Like, mm-hmm. it would make sense for Ryan to bring Patrick Keelty on mm-hmm. from a marketing perspective for the Late Late Show, have a chat with him, hand over the reins, as it were. Um, a giant then, ceremonial 
bad thing of sweets because yeah. he doesn't want to really like his little he sweets, sure does sweetie pies. he sure does um, and then there was another story like obviously they're trying to this is getting clicks so they were like um and Patrick Keelty will only have 12 hours to get from his sh- radio show in, in London to, thing, to, to, you know, to Montrose, whatever. So arrangements are being made, just want to reassure everybody, to allow Patrick Keelty to be able to broadcast his weekly BBC radio show from Belfast yes. hours um, after he hosts the Late Late Show. So few. It is interesting, though, I have to say, from a logistical perspective, because I read, in, and now look, this is all stories in the paper, so who knows what the reality is. But I read in the paper this week that Patrick Keelty will continue to live in London um, while he, he's presenting the late late um so if he's coming over and like that's fine from a logistical perspective from the production of the show's perspective from what i know mm-hmm. which is you know i know a bit about how the late late show works you know it wouldn't be a big deal for him to just be in in rt on fridays um and then you know he'll obviously be heading to belfast mm-hmm. to do his radio show on the saturday morning but you know i just don't know i don't know how that's gonna work because number one i mean I, how will he kind of bond with his team if he's only there mm. one day a week and if he can't even hang out afterwards because mm-hmm. after the show the Late Late Show does people hang around they have a drink like everybody mingles Ryan goes around takes photographs of people chats yeah, of people get back to spends time yeah. with his colleagues like that happens um, and that won't be an option for Patrick and also you know the Late Late Show is so intrin- intrinsic in Irish society and so entirely based around the kind of temperature of the nation and like uh-huh. how people are feeling how is Patrick Keelty gonna gonna know that if he's not here yeah well I, I mean I suppose you know it's like this is what they're doing the band-aid they're doing for now and it'll kind of obviously it will evolve and things who knows mm. like I don't know because the thing is like if they want to change it to like a light entertainment show that's fine but like you know we already have that like mm-hmm. you know everybody we, and we can watch all the English ones for that like I think the thing, the things that really succeed on the Late Late Show are the Irish bits yeah. because we can't get that anywhere else. Yeah. So that stuff has to be there, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and who, you know, who the fuck am I? Like an RT reject or whatever. But like, you know, I think they need the Irish bits and Patrick has to get it. And I'm not saying you can't get it from another country because I think that you can if you really work hard to yeah, stay but plugged it's a in. Thing. But it's, di- it's yeah. different. It is yeah. different. Yeah. And we know like, yeah, having, doing records on Zoom and doing records in person. Yeah, like, it's different. You can't get this, you can't replicate this energy that we have between us, Louise, if we were doing this over <laughs> Zoom. You know what I mean? So it is, but look, you know, and maybe, I don't know, his long-term plans maybe he's gonna I'm gonna give this two years three years so it's who knows who knows we don't know we don't know we will watch with interest um now I just love this story I just love Lewis Capaldi I just I do. As you'll know, if you listen to the Patreon episode about his documentary, I just have such a fondness for him, as I think we all do, whether you like his music or not is another thing. Um, but he... <laughs> talk about this statue, Esther. I think if we, we what we really need is the Titanic theme tune on recorder <laughs> underneath this whole yes. segment. Because that's what it's giving. Oh. So he has been... Uh, he went back to his Saint... Now you can maybe correct my pronunciation... St. Ketigern's Academy in Blackburn, West Lothian. That sounds, um, sounds flawless thank you. to me. It's his, it's his former school. Um, and he has been memorialised in papier-mâché ping-pong balls and bronze spray. Now, now, just pause for a second. Go Google it. Have a look. Yeah, please. Google Lewis Bat- Capaldi school statue. Yeah. It's a thing of beauty. It's, I it's, find it moving. It's gorgeous because you see, you'd want, I'd rather that than someone kind of do something so accurate. You'd be yeah. like, 
my youth what have you done to my face it is so bad but it, 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 the art teacher there said Brian Johnson said it was intentionally bad bizarre and odd looking and I heard that Lewis Capaldi kind of requested that as well I read yeah. that somewhere else that when he heard that they were doing this he was like make it intentionally weird yeah and they did and they did and apparently they took inspiration from the fake David Beckham statue James Corden pranked the footballer with um, and Mr. Johnston said Capaldi quickly picked up on the reference so it is a beautiful thing it's I, lo- I love it yeah, like, it's I cannot I cannot encourage you enough to go and Google image it because it's it's just stunning and I love Lewis and it makes sense it just yeah. makes sense it said the sculpture was based on a mannequin upon which we built the, with wire mesh papier, papier mache air clay real clothing and a couple of ping pong balls for eyes he said it was then spray painted bronze and placed on a plinth a nod to Capaldi's new album cover I love it beautiful I love it stunning on that note Esther thank you so much for your stunning contribution to the podcast uh, I will be eternally grateful Tell us what's the latest in Roastland. In Roastland, Emer and Esther Sunday Roast with Emer and Esther. We're going to be playing a little... Oh, you'll be there as well, Beyond the Pale Festival. I will. Playing. I, every time I say that, we're not. We're going to be in tent with three people. But anyway, but no, this there's a new episode out this Sunday and we're going to... Where did we go to? Oh, we went to a carvery in Houston Station. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank I cannot you. wait to hear that. Okay. So if you think it's a bit highbrow, don't worry. It's fine. We'll, <laughs> you'll be able to keep up. Keep up. Mm. Esther, thank you so much. Now it is time for me to go, uh, but thank you so much for being with me. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Aubrey Gordon, who I just will be like number one fan of forever and ever. Um, I don't have a lot of recommendations this week because I haven't really been doing much. I have been watching the new Bridgerton, which I feel stupid for even recommending because like let's be honest you all know about it um but I my friend was like you need to watch it you need to watch it and I was like oh okay but I'm loving it so much it feels like I think it's like hot water bottle tv you know like just super comforting not too challenging but still really smart so if you're looking for something like that I do definitely recommend this new series of Bridgerton which is what's it Princess Charlotte Princess Charlotte is that what it's because it's like a Bridgerton kind of spin-off hang on a second let me get this right Mm-mm-mm. Queen Charlotte, A Bridgerton Story. That's what it's called. It's on Netflix. Very enjoyable. Other than that, I've just been knee deep in um, Vanderpump Rules TikToks. I've watched the Vanderpump Rules finale t- twice. I, I will, I'm I just about to watch the the reun- first reunion episode another time. I just I can't get enough. I can't get enough. I'm also all caught up in New Jersey. I've been very focused on my Bravo shows. I won't lie to you. Um, but yeah, definitely um, give give the Bridgerton spinoff a a watch as well. Jesus, lads, it's very late in the evening for me to be recording. My brain is ceasing to function. Okay, I'm gonna go. I love you all so much. Thank you so much for listening. I truly, 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 truly cannot thank you enough. And the link to the Patreon if you want bonus episodes is there. If you want to support my work, I would so appreciate it. If you have an extra five or a month, um, I will love you forever. But to be honest, I love you anyway. Um, I hope you have a good week. But they can't all be good. And I know that. So if it's not good, just put one foot in front of the other. We will get through whatever it is that we're going through right now. Whatever challenge you're facing, and I know everybody's got their own, we're going to get through it. We're going to come out the other side. We're going to look back and we're going to be like, God, you remember that? That was awful. But look at us now. I promise. Thank you so much to ACAST. Thank you to my contributors. And I will talk to you next Friday.
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.